This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. I'm Ross Romano, and it's my pleasure to be joined by Dr. Chris Jones. Chris has been an educator in Massachusetts for 22 years. He's currently principal of Whitman Hanson Regional High School in Whitman, Massachusetts. He's also vice president of the Massachusetts State Administrators Association and was the 2022 Massachusetts School Counselors Association's Administrator of the Year. Chris's book, is called Seeing to Lead, published by Codebreaker Inc. And he also hosts a podcast by the same name. Maybe you've heard it. It's right here on the B Podcast Network, Seeing to Lead. So Chris, welcome to The Authority. Thanks for having me, Ross. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be able to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm excited that we're having this conversation and uh, kind of getting right into the book. Let's start with the first two lines of content in the book come from the foreword, which Danny Bauer from Better Leaders, Better School wrote, and listeners here will hear an interview with Danny in a few weeks, actually, here on The Authority. But his first two lines are, one of the biggest problems in education is tradition, and one of the biggest traditions is top-down leadership. And one, I really, I like this a lot. It stood out to me because I think we talk a lot about one of the big problems in education being doing things the way we've always done them, the old way, status quo. And But I hadn't really, I don't think I had heard somebody else use the word tradition <laughs> in that space. And to think about what are the connotations we typically have around traditions and what are the emotional connections to them and the things that make them hard to break. And I thought it was a really it was a good way of looking at it because it kind of reframed it at, from the language that we use a lot, which is like, of course, we want to get rid of old fashioned things, right? But it's like, but tradition, there's something that connects us. But one of the challenges there is that we have to ask, well, why? You know, why do we have this tradition? Why do we still have it? Why did it start in the first place? What purpose is it serving? Which is helpful in the one regard to identify things that we should 
replace. It's also helpful to reinforce our commitment to things that we know are worth having to say, all right, we've investigated this. We realized it's still helping us and now we're sticking with it. But what did you find uh, with respect to, as you have been going through your career, right? And then you started out and of course, I'm sure as a, as new teacher, and then as became a new administrator, you had expectations around a lot of the traditions of what you thought the role would be, right? And then that's kind of what you envisioned. And then as you went into the job and did it for a number of years, you started to realize things you wanted to shift. But what was your process there of investigating and asking why about some of those common practices? Oh, man, that is quite the question to start off with. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like the way you you really went after the idea of tradition and, and how you, you brought up the idea that it's difficult mm -hmm. because there are so many emotions tied to it. And, you know, one of the things that we don't necessarily realize when we look at our traditions is how closely they're tied to and in a lot of instances form the base of our culture. And so when I got to the position that I'm in, it wasn't like I looked at some things and then slowly decided that I wanted to change. I was lucky enough, and I, I consider myself to be lucky enough, to have gone into education with the idea of changing education. Hmm. I think I allude to it in my book a little bit, but I, I didn't have a great educational experience growing right. up. And my why for what I do every day is very closely tied to my experience and what has shaped me as an individual personally mm -hmm. and as a leader. And that's that's the idea of making the educational experience better for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, you know, and I'm I'm trying to to stay on your question a little bit because that's that that's got me wanting to talk about so many different things. The idea of how education has always worked, I've always been amazed at the idea that education hasn't really changed through the ages. We've put filters over it, we've held on to things that are dear, and it's always been almost like a gatekeeper type institution that you just need to pay your dues and do these things. Mm -hmm. And then you're deemed worthy of moving forward. Rather right. than what we should be looking at is that everybody learns in different ways. Everybody has different life experiences that they bring to the table. And people should teach in that manner and be supported to do that. And students should be able to learn in that manner and mm -hmm. be supported to do that. So when you talk about traditional things, and, and Danny's line there is perfect about top-down leadership, that is definitely a traditional thing, like I've made it, and so now I'm the boss. Mm -hmm. That's directly in contrast to what I believe should be happening if we're going to address all the different pieces of a person's ability to teach, lead, learn. And when people talk about this, a lot of times they like to say distributive leadership. They like to say collaboration, collaborative leadership, and start talking about those models. I like to focus more on the idea of empowerment and empowering people to take charge of their own future, to take charge of their learning, to take charge of how they move about in their space as they interact with others and impact others. Part of that journey to investigating the traditions and what makes it challenging as well is that they are, they can represent a big part of what uh, people aspire to when they're going to those roles or their vision of what it's going to be. So we talk about top-down leadership and think about when you are 
studying or even when you're earlier in your career and you say, man, I, I can't wait until the day when I'm in charge and I can dictate how things go. And um, the same as if you're a kid and you say, well, I can't wait until I'm grown up and I have a family and I host Thanksgiving dinner at my house, right? right it's the, right. the things you look forward to and you don't realize there's other challenges associated with it or there's reasons why those things might not work for everybody. And you have to think about it differently. And, and that does lead naturally into another word you use, gatekeeper. And so much of what you talk about here is something that's come up, you know, I mean, it's been going on for a long time, but it, over the past several months, I've been having a lot of conversations with educators and authors and teachers and students and all, all kinds of people about all the various factors around teacher retention and recruitment and the pipeline of new educators into the profession, right? And the fact that continuing to, to have things that are keeping this as, as kind of a gatekeeper institution is, is directly an antagonistic to the objective of we need to increase the pipeline, we need to get more people and keep them in the profession. And you also alluded to how your experience as a student shaped your thinking here. And, and you wrote about your journey of things that you observed as a student, but you didn't understand them as much until later, but saying that uh, as a student, I didn't really feel that I was supported, engaged, and empowered. And for listeners, this book, Seeing to Lead, the S-E-E -E stands for Supported, Engaged, and Empowered. So that's what it's all about. And you realized later that you were able to, one, you know, identify those words and what they meant. And you realized, well, the reason why I might not have felt that way was because my teachers weren't feeling that they were being supported, engaged, and empowered. So how could they do that for me? And it connects nicely to an episode we had not long ago with the authors of Hacking Deficit Thinking, Byron McClure and Kelsey Reed, who have a chapter at the end of their book called Educators Deserve to Flourish. And a big point of it, and the takeaway I got from it was like, if your educators are flourishing, it would be really difficult for your students to be languishing, right? This can be a holdup so often because as teachers talking about themselves and their own needs and support they want, or even as leaders or a system trying to prioritize teachers' needs, you can be shamed into not talking about because saying, well, it's about the students. So why are we talking about the teachers? That's not why they're there for. But the point is, like, if we don't focus on those needs, then they're not in the best position to do what is best for students. And they either filter out of the profession entirely, which creates other challenges, or those students just aren't being as well served as they can be. So that was your lifelong learning around that, right? And that, that, I thought that trajectory was really meaningful. Um, but, you know, what connect that a little more and talk about, right, you came into the profession with the objective to change. What did you find when you entered the profession? Did you find that it was ready to be changed? <laughs> you know, yeah. what, what has been your experience as you've worked through your career and you've, you know, worked in different environments where it either was or was not super easy to do what you wanted to do? Yeah, no, when I showed up in education, everybody just threw down the red carpet and said, yes, we want to do everything that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> now, when I arrived in education, and it, it's interesting because I, I did some teaching at a charter school, my, my first experience was in an alternative high school. And I think I was lucky in that sense, because it's odd enough that um, I, the reason I didn't go into teaching immediately, education is my second career. Uh, the reason I didn't go into it immediately was because I didn't want to deal with discipline all day. 
And my first job that I landed as an educator was in an alternative high school. So a lot of times people look at that and they're like, uh, what? But uh, that alternative high school allowed me to approach education from a different lens because it wasn't your traditional type of high school. We were dealing with behaviors. We were dealing with dropout risks, things like that. And then when I moved on from there, I moved into a charter school, which gave me a little bit more leeway, but it still then had that traditional structure. So even though you're talking about a charter school that is supposed to be different, supposed to be changing education, in some fashion they do, but they're still beholden to that structure. And so as I moved through teaching, I was able to stay in my own world, so to speak. I could impact those around me, my my team teacher for a little while, other individuals that I worked with, like humanities partners and things like that. I could impact them, but I could, for the most part, stay within myself and run my classroom the way I wanted to run my classroom. And if Joe next door didn't want to run their classroom that way, okay, that's fine. That did cause some problems between myself and other educators, because the students would then start to ask questions about the other classrooms and why they didn't look like my classroom. And they would ask why my classroom didn't look like others as well. But then when I moved up to administration, I had a, I had a fear. I had a fear that I would be moving away from the students. And so then I knew that I had to work to make sure that I stayed in touch with students. So as an assistant principal, which is the first role I stepped into, Again, I feel like I was blessed to an extent because my first role as assistant principal, and this role only lasted a year, I was also a 0.5 special ed team chair. And so people that don't realize what that is, I, I run the special education meetings and I'm in charge of the special education department for the high school. So it was a lot of hours, <laughs> a little mm -hmm. stressful, but it gave me a chance to see everything. I, I was able to interact with your top achieving, high performing, give me all the AP courses I can get students who were, you know, push, push, push to get the best grades they could in the institution. I was then looking at the students that faced academic challenges and emotional challenges as they just struggled to get through days and what strategies they could use to deal with that. And then as the assistant principal, obviously, I dealt with the students that weren't complying with the mm -hmm. rules that are often unforgiving. So it's really there that I started to move into progressive discipline, spend more time working with kids, talking with kids, and looking for the root of problems. Because oftentimes, the discipline piece is, yes, it's a consequence, but I'm a firm believer that, that consequences aren't necessarily always a bad thing. We have consequences for every action that we do. And if we do an action that's beneficial, then we have a beneficial consequence. If we do an action that isn't, then often that there's a negative consequence. However, I'm also a firm believer that you need to learn from that because we're learning, thinking human beings. Right. And if experience is such a good teacher, if there's a negative consequence, we have to learn from that. So that was a shift in mindset among myself, my colleagues, teachers in the building that we don't always have to give this incredibly harsh consequence to students for a misbehavior. It needs to be a learning experience to where the students learn from that and learn that discipline isn't something done to you. And consequences aren't necessarily something done to you, they're done for you. 
That's a subtle but a very important mindset shift that a lot of people weren't ready to accept. I remember getting write-ups from teachers where they wrote on there, this time I want this kid to get so many detentions. This this kid should be suspended because they wanted their they wanted their pound of flesh. Mm-hmm. And hey, look, I, I get it. They're frustrated. They're doing their thing in a class. They're skating their lane. But what they were doing in their class was governed and focused on the traditional method of classroom instruction, where you're putting students in rows and desks. You lecture. You give them a worksheet, and of course, students are going to start to act out. I mean, me as an adult, if you sit me in a classroom for that long and do that, I'm going to get antsy and I'm going to move around. So one of the things I did working with students as I was an assistant principal is I wanted to work with students in such a fashion that they would say thank you each time they left my office. Not 100%, obviously. I was successful, but I had multiple people say to me, why is it I always hear kids say thank you to you? as they're leaving their office when you just gave them a certain amount of detentions or whatever, because it was moving away from that traditional thinking of punitive. Everything's got to be punitive. And unfortunately, this could be a whole other podcast show. Our grading system, the current grading system used in schools is based on punishment and reward. That's all it is. It's not based on understanding which it needs to be based on. So there's still a lot of that pushback as to what I found. As a principal, I, I find that traditional piece, but now as a principal in that position, it's not as difficult. I find the people that push back because they like the traditional way, but also due to the fact that I work to support teachers in that transition, I get them engaged in making that transition, and then I empower them to make that step themselves, I find that there's a lot less pushback. Right. And, and on that empowerment piece, it occurs to me that, at, you know, as you were, you entered the teaching role and you had these objectives around changing the profession, right? And then um, you mentioned, you know, your classroom looked different from the others and otherwise, you know, what's going on over there? Um, but then as you moved into administration and you have this objective around empowering your teachers, that it can then be a difficult transition for you to say, well, part of empowering them means that they're going to do it differently. <laughs> I need to work oh, with yeah, them yeah, to make yeah, sure yeah. everybody's uh, doing things that seem effective, but every each of them are going to have a different way of doing that and a way that's unique to them. Um, so how, how, you know, can that be a struggle for um, the school leader to say, all right, you know, when I was as a teacher, I was on a mission in one way, and now I'm an administrator, and I need to change my perspective. You know, that's one of the biggest struggles, that empowerment piece um, that you mentioned, is walking away. Mm-hmm. And I, I I believe I mentioned this as well, is that the worst thing you can say to somebody after you empower them to do something, and this has to do with the cycle I talk about in the book, the worst thing you can say once you empower somebody and they they do what you empowered them to do is to say, well, that's not the way I would have done it. You should have done it this way. It, it's really about that whole stepping away and giving somebody the ability to do something the best they can and then focusing on progress over perfection. You know, it's funny because earlier you mentioned Thanksgiving dinner, right, as far as traditions go. And I had done a while ago, I did, and actually I think it was on um, Danny Bauer's 
uh, School Leadership Series podcast, I guest hosted a few times. And I did a piece on Forget to Squash. And it was about the idea that I had just had my wife, you hit home talking about food. My wife makes this phenomenal Thanksgiving dinner. And she's always on so on point with it. I'm so lucky. And she made this dinner one year. It was fantastic. And the only thing that wasn't that great was the squash. And she asked me afterwards, as we're cleaning up and doing our thing, she said, oh, how was dinner? And for a moment in my brain, flashed the idea. And I don't know why a lot of us do this as, as human beings. Just we, we tend to pick out that one negative thing instead of focusing on the positive thing. And I almost said, uh, well, the squash was a little little off. But I didn't because I thought to myself, Chris, and I refer to myself in the third person every once in a while. I say, Chris, like, what are you doing? You just had a phenomenal dinner and you're going to point out the one little thing. The reason I mention that is because if somebody wants to take Thanksgiving dinner over as a tradition, well, they still need people to bring sides. Right. And the people that bring the sides are value added. And they're an important piece. That part that they're doing is an important piece. If you empower somebody to do something and they do it to the best of their ability, it doesn't matter if it falls short of being perfect. The fact is they took a step forward. That should be rewarded. They have a chance to reflect on how they can do it better next time, which is a reward in all itself. And they're that much closer to stepping forward and becoming a leader all the time. If you if you take somebody and you show them the value that they add, then that's what empowerment's about. Not telling somebody to do something. I guess to sum it up, so I don't ramble too much. Empowerment's not delegation. It's you're not just right. giving something some to somebody to get it off your plate. Empowerment is giving some somebody something so that they can show and work on their leadership abilities. Yeah, I mean it's a it's positioning them to be a value add, right? Um, hmm. A value add to the larger whole versus taking something off of your plate. The, the whole is still the same. It doesn't matter who's doing it. We're all doing the exact same thing in this case, right? Um, if, if your wife can make every single one of the dishes as well as anybody else could make it, it's a difference between her making it and her saying, well, you make this one, I'm just not going to do it versus saying, oh, this person is really good at <laughs> mac and cheese or the squash and I'm going to have them do it. And then we're, we're all having a better experience because I'm allowing them to truly do the job and to lead in that role versus just doing it the way I would necessarily do it. I think that leads us to your, I would call it, you know, your, your simple definition of, of how we even become a leader, right? And for listeners, yes, obviously this is super pertinent to principals and, you know, folks in, in quote unquote leadership roles, but it's to any of us who want to become leaders in our positions and have positive influence over those environments. And, you know, you write, basically, this is a, a little bit of a, a rephrasing, but that you don't become a leader and then learn that you need to support others first. You become a leader because you've realized this, right? Because you are prioritizing others' needs. And, um, you know, you write about the, these challenge of the leaders and it's kind of this challenge of feeding our desire for control versus feeding others, you know, feeding their yeah. opportunity. And the truth is like these things are, it's contagious. I mean, it's contagious within us, right? There's the old, the old saying it's better to give than to receive, but 
the truth is like the more you give, the more you want to give because you realize that, oh, you know what? I actually really like this. <laughs> uh, there's somebody who's not used to giving that might not, you know, oh, that's just something people say, but it's true. So the more that we are supporting and empowering others and seeing them thrive and seeing what they can really do and the more you want to keep doing that and vice versa, the more that you want to exert control, the more power hungry you're, you're going to become. You just kind of keep feeding into that. So um, let's say, let's say I'm, I'm in a school and I'm not an administrator right now. Maybe I do or don't want to be one, right? But I, I certainly want to be a leader and I want to make a difference. How might I con conceptualize this, right? And start thinking about, all right, what does it mean? What does it mean to support others in a way that is role agnostic <laughs> in, a, in a way that's not, it's not like these are the 10 things a principal should do, but it's just like, these are, these are leadership skills. And this is how you start to increase your influence on, you know, on those around you. First of all, I got to give you an A plus on that whole role agnostic phrase. That's, mm -hmm. that's pretty impressive that you came up with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the, the thing you have to do is, I mean, and, and you know, everybody says this, is you have to model. So if, if people are looking to step into more of a leadership role, you have to make sure, and whether leaders like to admit it or talk about it, is that 100% of the time, people are watching what you do as a leader. In a school setting, that's everywhere from students to teachers to custodians to, to everybody, the, the admin assistants and the staff. So you really have to model the pathway of becoming a leader. And you do that in a number of ways when you wanna support people. The first thing you have to do is they, you have to build trust with the person. The person has to trust you because they have to be of the mind that when they're sitting there and they ask themselves, does this person really trying to help me? That answer has to be yes. Mm -hmm. Because if that answer isn't immediately yes, even if it's a like, well, I, I think so, they're not going to step forward and provide you with ideas. And, and that takes building a relationship for the leader. So when you talk about anybody in the building that wants to step forward and take more of a leadership role, the whole idea is the leader has to have enough of a relationship with that person to understand what they might be interested in. And then it, it's, it's on the leader to go to the person and say, hey, have you ever thought of or to come up with some item that that individual, because they're interested in that area, um, you can talk to that individual about and then get them to step forward and maybe do something that has to do with that item. It's, it's on the leader to make that fit into the larger piece so that person can be value added. And then when they're doing that, because everybody wants to be Everybody wants to be better. This is based on the premise that, look, nobody shows up to say, hey, I think I want to suck today. Right. Um, everybody's doing the best they can. So it's also important for the leader to realize the type of role they need to play. Sometimes leaders, they don't want to be too strict, right? Because then they're, they're that top-down control-ish leader. But then they, okay, so maybe I should be their friend, but it's not about being a friend. So leaders need to realize that even when it comes down to coaching versus mentoring, leaders need to be coaches. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because leaders need to help people identify where their shortcomings are and where they want to be, that whole goal setting piece. And then they need to make sure they help them in getting there.
and bolster them in getting there. So if I'm if I have a relationship with you, Ross, and we're talking, and I know that you're working with students and maybe you're having, let's just go, let's just go really easy, right? Ground level stuff. You're having trouble with transitions in your classrooms, which then causes some behavioral issues. So I noticed this, we talk, I know that you're interested in the behaviors of kids and doing fun things in the classroom, but now you're concerned because if you're trying to do these fun, engaging things in the classroom, that the classroom behavior gets off a little bit. I know that you want to get better at that. So I have a talk with you and I say, hey, I know you're interested in this behavior stuff and doing some interesting things. I've heard and I've read or I've seen that people that have run into the same problems because they want to institute some more hands-on engaging activities in the classroom, they've tried these different things. They've tried these strategies. Have you ever thought of looking into that or doing that? And here, here's this article that I saw, or this short video that I saw in that that explains it better than I ever could. Why don't you take a look at this and tell me what you think? So that person wants to make that happen. It's low buy-in. There's low entry level because it's not like I'm I'm grading them, I'm judging them or anything like that. I'm giving you this resource. Then I stop back um, and say, hey, have you thought about that? You tell me a couple things. And then I say, okay, so that's really cool what you're talking about, Russ. Have you thought about what that would look like in your classroom and maybe trying something like that? Why don't you try that and we'll see where you are. So now I'm showing you where you need to be. And I'm supporting you in making the decision to get there. And during that conversation, sometimes you'll be gung-ho. You'll say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to try that. I'll figure it out. Other times you're like, well, what if this happens? Then it's my job as a leader to say, okay, so this seems to be a problem. So how can I support you if that happens or to keep that from happening? Mm -hmm. And then give you some ideas. And then I just build you up like that. As much as we wish it was a magic pill, a wand, something we could just wave and say, you're good. It isn't. And it takes some time. And that's where that trust and relationship really begin to grow. So support, engage, empower. This is uh, this question. It might be the tricky one if you haven't thought about it. Before. But what's your one sentence definition for each of those three? I, you know what, that is, that is fantastic. I haven't thought of that before. <laughs> so you want a one sentence definition of each one, right? Right. Okay. So I would say support is building trust through communication and modeling that helps teachers not only build, but cross a bridge from where they are to where they wish to be. Great. That's my first one. Okay. I'm glad this is recorded because I'm going to go back and listen to this. Yes. My, <laughs> my second one for engagement. My sentence definition for engagement would be getting individuals to take ownership of their personal connection to the overall vision through tangible outcomes and a feeling of belonging. And then we need one for empowerment. So my sentence definition for empowerment is helping people realize the value they add by getting them involved and helping them realize that success comes from focusing on progress over perfection. Yeah, and I, that empower one, you know, I like um, kind of where you went with that by, the word of involvement, getting them involved and, and realizing like what their success is going to be and, and requiring that progress. Because one of the things that 
might be a challenge is, okay, how do we identify the difference between empower and enable, <laughs> right? Um, right? Between right. truly like, because um, it doesn't mean it's just a free for all. Okay, everybody do whatever you want to do. It's, but I, but I do want you to have autonomy and true empowerment but that also means that we have common goals and objectives that we're working toward and and individuals will determine the ways that they're working toward those goals but they have that have to be going to the goals right <laughs> like the goals are right. non-negotiable um right. but that can be a challenge that's the difference between this being the hardest or the easiest it's easy to enable because you don't have to do anything um but it's hard it's hard to empower it you know it is difficult to empower and and one of the things I, man I really like that you said empower versus enable hmm. because it makes me think of the idea of how how you give feedback to somebody when they've stepped out and tried something right. where I said before you have to step back and and things like that but there's a there's a very specific way to give feedback to somebody that's that's been empowered or that's trying to reach any goal really and. That's the idea of you depersonalize the negative and you personalize the positive. And I think about when you say empower and enable, when you enable, you depersonalize everything just so, so the behavior goes um, and there's no responsibility ever taken. But when, when, you, when you empower, you have that balance between, yes, you don't tell somebody, oh, you really messed that up with no answers or anything like that. But there definitely is a goal that needs to be met, which is why I talked about the whole coaching piece before instead of the mentoring, because you are responsible for an outcome. And right. it's the job of the leader to get that outcome, but not destroy the relationship, trust, or person in the process. Yeah. And it's sort and it also makes me think of, you know, that it it allows you to focus on the difference between outcomes and intentions. Right. And, yeah. the, you know, OK, you were clearly doing this for the right reasons and you had the right goal in mind, but it didn't quite work. But we can kind of figure out a different way around it versus saying, look, you should you shouldn't have been doing this in the first place, because what were you <laughs> trying to achieve? It sort of reminds me of how in, in sports, it's the mental mistakes that are most frustrating to coaches. It's not the physical. Every football player is going to miss a tackle from time to time, but you have to know the plays. Right? If you're not doing what you're supposed to do, that is avoidable and that shouldn't happen. If there's just a failure of execution, we just work on it, right? And reinforce it or sometimes just say, look, that one just didn't work just try it again. <laughs> you know, yeah. you didn't really do anything wrong and just everything doesn't always work all the time. Um, but, you know, but kind of the way you had defined empowerment thought about it allows to at least be able to tell the difference between that and give feedback that makes a difference, which, you know, going back to engage, <laughs> you know, relates to, uh, makes me think of the feedback conversation. We've had that a lot of times on this show around the challenges and trepidations and, you know, benefits of the feedback. Um, you kind of shared a story about that in the book about an evaluator, um, you know, you had while you were a teacher oh. who didn't come on the day that, that she was supposed to come. And that when you had a really great engaging lesson plan and then showed up the next day when you were more assessing the lesson and then uh, gave you a poor evaluation because it supposedly wasn't engaging, right and didn't the the main takeaway being the person had no interest in understanding the context or where you were coming from or 
looking at you as a whole. And we've had some good conversations about feedback. One that stands out was from an episode a while back with Matt Renwick. And he kind of talked about how he does, as a principal, he doesn't go into observations with any, like, he's not going there with the goal of saying anything. He'll have conversations later and ask the teacher, how did you think? What did you think about it? And kind of get their thoughts on it. But he says, like, there's no way I can possibly know from being in there one day (laughs) what, you know, what this teacher is really capable of. So I, it, it would be egotistical of me to basically think that, right? I need to know that I'm getting one slice of it. And I want to hear from them about what they think about it. And then we just work on things together. Um, but that, you know, gets to that engagement piece to me. And, and you know, you can talk more about it, but like making it meaningful and perhaps also putting, you know, putting the, the onus back on the administrators to say, you talked about creating the sense of belonging. And, you know, of course, one of the things we hear a lot particularly when it comes to administrators and the higher up you go in the district, the more so it is that it's isolating because you're the only person in your building or the only person in your organization with your role. So you don't have as much of a community, but like how much of that is, well, you can go and create that community because the more you make other people feel like they belong, you're going to feel like you belong too, right? That that it's it's an opportunity to say, look, how many of the the challenges of your job are kind of self-inflicted? Um, I, I don't know. What does that sound like to you? <laughs> no, I think self-inflicted is a great answer. Um, hey, look, sense of belonging, right? And that's that's so. That is the root, uh, again, another episode we could do, that is the root of so many of the issues we're having in education today. And you say the more you make somebody feel a sense of belonging, that the more you feel a sense of belonging, of course, because we're building commonalities. And really, when it comes down to it, it's our commonalities that hold us together, right? You you hang out with a certain people group of people because you have things in common. You date or marry somebody because you have things in common. High school is the last place people are forced to be together with other people that they might not have anything in common with. They might be completely opposite. So that becomes a difficulty on the student aspect of that. Mm -hmm. As the adults, when you're a leader looking at the adults, well, there is a commonality. You're all in teaching. And so that one thread is a perfect place to start to build a deeper understanding or sense of belonging among everybody. Yes, you're there to teach, but that doesn't mean that you have anything besides that in common. And so there's still going to be that distance. I actually ran, I I ran an exercise in one of my faculty meetings. I tend to do faculty meetings a little different. Um, And what we did as a faculty is we, I, I wanted to get to people's why and why they got into education. Because if I could do that, I could show them that we all had more in common than we had originally thought of, be it in thought or action. And so the whole faculty, I I started talking about people's why, and I explained to them my why, the one I mentioned earlier um, in this episode about making education a better experience for everyone involved by being purposeful, acting with integrity, and building character. And I told them a short story as how, how I got to that. And then I said, you know, we, we want to explain things. So I want you to take some a few minutes and think about why you got into education. Remember, before all the other stuff got in the way, why you actually started doing this. 
And then I had them break into some groups and start to share them. And so then they started to share them. And then we came, I told them to identify different themes that they noticed kind of popping up. And so then we got back together as a full faculty and we shared those themes. And we said, oh, look, these themes are showing up. And as, as people are sharing themes from their different larger groups, you could see other people from other groups going, oh, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and some of the themes were there. So, right, so those bonds are starting to build a little bigger. And then I said, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to go into your groups and I want you to pick out just like your top three themes that really tie all of these things together. And so they did that. And I had my faculty broken up into three larger groups um, and or actually four larger groups, sorry. And then they they did that and they they identified their their top three, maybe four if it was closed themes. And then they shared those out. And then I we talked about it and then I made them go back into their groups. And I said, OK, now what I need your whole group to do is take those themes and create a story that highlights what those mean in education. And so these groups of people now who saw that their original whys actually fit into themes with other people's whys and as a whole staff. And then when you really boiled it down, it could really fall under one main theme. And so now they're all connected to this, but then they each created a single story, just a short example, highlighting that, that all of them on a, on a belief level, on a feeling level, were attached to. And so as we told these stories, the head nods and, oh, yeah. And everybody now felt as if they were part of this group. And so now they're engaged in the overall vision of what we're doing because I'm not going to sit and build a vision with anybody else that does not incorporate these stories. Right. And so now everybody, whenever we think about what we're doing, why are we talking to that student that way? Why are we teaching this material this way? Why are we having this activity that's, you know, calling us out of classes? Oh, that's why, because that's what we believe in as a group. Yeah. So Chris, your uh, your podcast, Seeing to Lead, is also built around these same themes. And so listeners, if you've enjoyed this conversation, you'll certainly enjoy that as well. So before we kind of wrap up here, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the conversations that you've had recently? Are you going to be having upcoming and, and some of the things listeners might hear if they check out your show? I've had a couple people on recently. One um, I have to give a shout out to is Jed Stefanowitz. And, and he's the author of a couple of different books. His most recent one is Influence to Impact. And it's it, it's a really cool project the way he did it. But he talked to a bunch of different leaders. And he writes a little bit about them. And uh, yeah, shameless plug. I'm one of the people he talks to. But right. um, he then put QR codes in the book to short video interviews. So it's it's a good read, but it's also a good watch. It's a good listen. And it and it's full of resources. That's, that's what I like about it. Um, so I spoke to him. That was a really good conversation because we see a lot of, he's a tech coach. And so we talked a lot about how coaching plays a role and what coaches can do to help people improve. So it was it was more about improvement. I also spoke to Lindsay Lyons, who is an educational justice coach. And so she talked a lot about the whole belief, the whole belonging piece and equity in education and how we can work to make everybody feel as though they belong. 
no matter what gender, race, belief system they have, so that we can make our schools a more inclusive place. I mentioned her as well, too, because she she has all kinds of resources. I mean, she comes out and does coaching and, and so forth. But um, and then those those are probably some of the big ones that sat out. I also spoke to Eric Youngman and had a good conversation where we mentioned chat GPT. Mm-hmm. I, I know that is that's an ever growing topic that we're we're kind of struggling with a little bit uh, in our schools. And when I'm talking about resources, I'll give you one more. I, I could go on forever. I have such great conversations. Um, Brian Carpenter, he's up in Canada and he does this thing called Fresh Air at Five. And it's that's a podcast. But what he does is he walks every morning and just holds his phone up in front of him and records his reflections on different podcasts he's listening to. And then at the end of the week, he just puts them all together and that's his podcast. So if you want resources, he, I mean, he talks about three, maybe four different podcasts in his podcast at the end of the week that he stitched together each day. Excellent. Well, speaking of, of podcasts, we've also um, I th- talked a lot about belonging today. So it might as well bring up, you know, we also have another show on the network called Tell Me This. And that show is all about belonging. So listeners, if you're enjoying these conversations, like certainly check out Seeing to Lead and we'll put the link below. Check out Tell Me This and we'll put the link to that below as well. And um, there's a lot of interconnection between these themes and and things you really may find interesting. So um, do check those out. Check out the link below to the book Seeing to Lead and Chris's website and social media. Also, please subscribe to The Authority for more interviews like this and visit bpodcast.network to learn about our entire network of shows. Chris, thanks for coming on. Ross, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.